Charles Cudworth, in his essay, The True Stillenacht, begins this way. This Christmas, as at every other Christmas, millions of people all over the world will be singing or listening to Christmas carols, and one carol which is so very loved is Stillenacht, or Silent Night. This melody is now so popular that it is almost the Christmas carol. Yet, the surprising thing about it is that the majority of performances of Silent Night make use of a variant which is only a pale reflection of the original tune. Only in Austria and southern Germany is the true original version at all well known, and even there you're as likely as not to hear the more simplified variant, the one which most of us know. Yet, Stillenach is not an ancient carol worn down with the passing of many centuries. It's not even an Austrian Volkslied folk song, although a lot of people may have that thought. We know the name of its composer, just as we know the name of its author. Never did two men sail into immortality on a frailer bark. Gruber, the organist, and Moore, the priest, have their names engraved forever on the roll of fame on the strength of one slender little Vinox lead, written a century and a half ago. Gruber is especially famous partly because he was the composer and partly because it is so easy to make a little pilgrimage to his grave at Hallein from nearby Salzburg. They are proud of Gruber at Hallein and know all about his connection with Stillenach. In the local museum there, you can see his portrait, his piano. You can see his bureau and various other mementos. You can also see a photostat of one of his own arrangements of Stille Nacht, the one called the Hallein version. The original manuscript is kept in the town archives. You can even buy a picture postcard of it. But I wonder how many people ever look at it really closely and puzzle out the old clefts and notice how subtly different the melody is from the one they usually hear. Who was this Gruber, and how did he come to be an immortal on the strength of one little carol? That usually, you might say, is incorrectly sung. His full name was Franz Gruber, and he was one of those innumerable village schoolmaster organists who were such a potent, if humble, force in the musical life of the old Austrian Empire. On December 24, 1818, Herr Josef Mohr, who was then curate in the newly established parish of St. Nicholas in Oberndorf, brought a poem to the organist, asking him to set it for two solo voices, choir, and guitar accompaniment. Gruber fulfilled this request on the same evening with a simple and easy composition, which was performed immediately afterwards and with some success on that same night. We have a few more details about that first performance. Moore, it seems, sang the upper solo part, while Gruber sang the lower, more accompanied, on his guitar. The church choir repeated the last four bars in SATB harmony. Why the guitar, you may ask? Why not the organ? The latter apparently had broken down shortly before Christmas and could not be repaired in time. There are all sorts of romantic tales about the reasons for the organ's indisposition, including a delightful one about a mouse having eaten the bellows. Whatever the reason, 
that recalcitrant organ was to play a leading role in the subsequent distribution of Gruber's Innocent Little Christmas Carol. The firm of Maurer, who came to repair the organ shortly afterwards, hailed from Filgen, about 80 miles west of Oberndorf. Maurer himself heard the tune, liked it, took it back with him to that Zillertal, where it became popular and was often thought to be a Tyrolean folk tune. It was spread even further abroad by a music-loving family of glovemakers, the Strassers, who sang it at the great German trade fairs. They are said to have sung it at Leipzig in 1831, and from there it was quickly taken up elsewhere and even printed as a folk tune in Berlin and elsewhere. Unfortunately, between 1818 and 1831, some of the most characteristic and charming features of Gruber's original tune had been lost, including the change in pitch in the ninth bar, caused no doubt by someone mistakenly transcribing Gruber's old-fashioned soprano clef at this point, that he himself always preferred his own original version is obvious when one examines the various manuscripts which he made of it and which can still be seen in the Salzburg Hallein libraries. That from Charles Cudworth in his essay, The True Stillenacht. The lyric consort will help us hear Silent Night freshly as they perform the original 1818 version, Stillenacht, in German, as part of a lyric consort Christmas this Saturday night in Scranton. We had a chance to speak by phone with Christopher Gallo, bass and artistic director of the Lyric Consort, about the ensemble and the weekend's concert program. We're now in our 31st season, and where has the time gone? We are now a 10-voice a cappella group. For the first 30 years, we were an 8-voice, but now we've expanded up to 10 voices, and we sing all sorts of art music from the medieval period, the Renaissance, all the way up to modern day. And we're always trying to explore and find new repertoire and discover new composers. It's a very exciting thing. So we've been together since 1993, and uh, the group's sound and, and friendships have matured, and it's, it's just a wonderful thing. Surely it's not easy to talk about, Chris, but how would you characterize the sound of the Lyric Consort? Well, I really think that we all have very nice voices. That That's a, an automatic thing. And if we're going to be in the singing group, you have to be confident and have a good voice. But when we have rehearsed together over the period of years, we develop a, you know, an instinct, being able to anticipate, you know, anticipate where someone's going to breathe. And so you can cover somebody's breath and so it could be seamless. And you have to be able to fit into the group sound and be able to listen, and uh, it's, it's just a, a balancing act that we do. And, and there's many singers around the area, you know, there's so many fine groups, that to find that balance and to find each group's individual sound, and I think that the consorts really developed a beautiful sound over the last 30 years. We used to say the early music ensemble, the lyric consort, specializing in early music, but as you suggest, you've been exploring living, breathing composers, too. Yes, we've certainly expanded that over the years. This year, uh, back in October, we did a concert of exclusively American music from all different eras, 
And in the spring, we'll also be uh, doing a program going back to our uh, Renaissance roots and uh, doing an all-English show from the Elizabethan era. And so, you know, we're finding the balance between the old and the new because that's what people want to hear. They want to hear new and exciting things. We always associate the Lyric Consort with your performances at St. Luke's Church in Scranton. Well, I do have to say, consistently over that period, that St. Luke's has just been so hospitable to us, so open to letting us rehearse in the sanctuary, do our performances. And so I'll give a little shout out to Mother Barnes and the parishioners of St. Luke's. They've been, they've been great. You know, we've, we've performed in other spaces. We've performed at St. Stephen's in Wilkes-Barre so many times. The Cathedral in Scranton have also been very, very friendly to us and some wonderful parishes in the area who've been uh, receptive to our music. You mentioned 30 years and now 10 singers instead of eight. This is a time of change for the Lyric Consort. Alan Baker has retired. Yes, he's been going through a a long period of retirement. Last season, he did our 30-year anniversary concert, and he bowed out there. And the Choral Society of Northeastern Pennsylvania, he is uh, retiring from there. And eventually, he's going to be uh, packing up and moving to retirement. And, you know, he's just a great friend, and he's been wonderful for the the music of our area. And I, I don't have enough kind words to say about him. Many people look forward to the Lyric Consort Christmas concert because it's usually one of the last performances before the actual holiday itself, and they've taken care of their shopping and wrapping and all those things and finally have a chance to settle in and really listen to some music of the season. Yes, so that's one of the things that we like to do. We like to uh, warm the spirits, I guess you could say, and right in the, the middle of the Christmas season, it's always been our hope that it's okay to see people come to our concerts and close their eyes, because that means that they're relaxing. And by the applause, we always know that at the end, when we wake them up, that it's always been very well received. I would really like to uh, mention, you know, thinking about Dr. Baker, Alan, you know, he's been such a good friend to the area that uh, I think I would mention that uh, we have a piece of music that is written for Alan, and that was written by a Hazleton resident, Sal DeFazio, And uh, the name of the piece is Holy is the Lord Our God. And uh, when Sal wrote it, he envisioned what angels sound like. So I hope that we can, uh, well, we dedicate the piece to Alan, and hopefully we can sound angelic. We're still working on that. How lovely that will be. And we do know about all those angels that we're harking to at this time of year. You know, Chris, we are used to talking with Alan about how the programs come together. What kinds of things go into your thinking about what you all will be doing? My thinking is go for variety. I want to do some of the old. I want to do some of the new. I want to sometimes revisit things that people have heard. For example, we are doing Silent Night, and there's nothing particularly special about Silent Night other than its beauty, but we're doing the 1818 original version. And since Wes Poole, who joined our group this year, is a very good guitar player, we are singing it in German and having Wes accompany on it with the original arrangement. So we're taking something old and hopefully listen to it with new, fresh ears. And it's really quite a, a beautiful arrangement, the, the original Gruber version. Variety, we're doing Hans Leo Hassler and 
we're doing some new arrangements by Bob Chilcott, an uh, English composer. So we're, we're ranging from the Renaissance up to the present day. And a nod also to our local roots, we're doing a version of Winter Wonderland. 30 years in, we've never done Winter Wonderland. But uh, Dick Smith being a Honesdale native, and well, I'm a Honesdale native myself, I, you know, I just wanted to give a nod to our local tradition. And don't you think that will surprise some people? I think there's still people who don't recognize that Winter Wonderland has regional roots. Well, we did a performance in Holly at the Holly Winterfest just last weekend. And when I mentioned Winter Wonderland, it was universal. Everyone in Holly knew about Dick Smith. But over our listening area, yeah, you know, it's nice to know that famous things come from our area. Looking through the pieces that we're doing, most of the things would not be familiar to the average listener, but when they hear it, if they come to the show, I would like them to think that it was beautiful. The Bob Chilcott pieces that we're doing, we're doing Gifts for the Child of Winter, Songs of the Crib, The Heart in Waiting. We're doing them in a set, and when you listen to them all together, it's just beautiful writing, and that's why I picked it. For those who like something a little more traditional, uh, we're also doing a little town of Bethlehem. And so certain you'll be familiar and hopefully the things that are not familiar, they will, uh, that the listeners will uh, enjoy. What is it like for a singer and what is it like for the audience at St. Luke's? Well, back in the day when we had eight singers, I always, uh, in my head, referred to as the acoustic that we sing in as the ninth member of the group. And that's the, the force that, that blends the sound, gives a, a, a reverb. And uh, when a, a person is sitting at St. Luke's, you know, that you could look at the windows, just the atmosphere being there and the acoustics are very favorable. And I was saying before how we have uh, great parishes in the area who have hosted us, but uh, the spaces that we sing in are, are exquisite. How do you position yourselves? What do you do with 10 people, the same that you do with eight? Well, it is the same, yes. We'll, uh, we stand right on the floor, right right on the same level as, as the listeners, and we do it in voice order from soprano to the left to the low basses on the right, and that's a, a setup that we've gotten very accustomed to. And I, I think it makes for a very nice balance, and you could hear the different voices, but yet we still have a, a blend that we strive for. This is a time of year that's busy for everyone, but you who are singers are especially busy. Well, I think most of the members of the group wear different hats. People sing with different church jobs and uh, Arcadia Chorale, Choral Society. You know, it's just a, it's a passion. And when, once you get in the group, it's, a, it's an infectious kind of thing. People try to you know, go out and find more experiences, more ways to, to sing. Uh, it's really a joy, and that's why we do it. Let us know then how we can join you. So our show is a Lyric Consort Christmas, and the performance is Saturday, December 16th at 8 p.m. at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Scranton. Our website is lyricconsort.org. Christopher Gallo, Artistic Director of the Lyric Consort. He's a bass. And he has been speaking with us about a Lyric Consort Christmas, Saturday, December 16th at 8 p.m.
at St. Luke's Episcopal Church, Wyoming Avenue in Scranton. For more information on the web, lyricconsort.org, lyricconsort.org.